Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a step study today. Today we are in step number five, which will be page 55 in your handy dandy pocket size 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book. That would be the other book of Alcoholics Anonymous if you live in the southeast part of the United States. It might even be the main book of Alcoholics Anonymous if you live in some other areas of the United States. It makes no difference. Blow the dust off it. Let's get ready to do step number five. So Step number five is a vital step, as they all are, and, and Bill's going to give us a lot of qualifiers. The big question that comes up with step five is, why in the world do I got to do something like this? What could I possibly benefit from doing this? I mean, further shaming myself and making myself feel bad is somehow going to make me feel better? Come on, that can't even be. Drumming up old emotions and telling people stuff I don't want them to know? I mean, that can't possibly be. In any case, throughout history, and this goes through this in this step, this is a critical thing. The act of confession, the art of contrition, the ability to own your past, the ideas behind surrender, outing of oneself, proactive accountability, knowing exactly who you are, humility. And that's going to be the purpose of step five. It's going to tell us that we're going to deflate the ego a little bit more. And there's a couple of reasons to do it. The main focus of step five is often missed because we get into telling a story. And towards the end of this step, it cautions us about that. And we'll, we'll stop on that for a minute when we get there. And there's another thing about it that we almost never talk about. And that's loneliness. That's that sense of isolation, the desire to be alone, the contraction out of the world, the movement to just being me for the sake of me, that self-centeredness at its peak is really the essence of step five. So let's just dive on into it. There's all sorts of commentary. It'll be a, it'll be kind of a long read today. In any case, it's a critical step and he's going to tell us why a bunch of times. So here we go. Ready? Step five, page 55 in the handy dandy 12 and 12. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's a critical concept there because a lot of us want to just tell a story about something that we didn't want anybody to know. But what it's talking really about is the nature of our instinctual self. Remember, four steps all about the instincts gone awry. And in step five, we're going to address those instincts from character standpoint. You know, who am I really? Who am I really? How have I been egregious in this world? How have I got my way at other people's expenses? The exact nature of our wrongs, not the details of our wrongs. What is the nature of them? What is the innate quality of it? All right, here we go. All of AA's 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. That's true. They all deflate our egos. When it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than five. So if you're having trouble with five, I think the implication there is that perhaps it's your ego. Maybe it's pride getting its way. But scarcely any step is more necessary to long-time sobriety and peace of mind than this one. I think he says that at all of them. You know, every single step seems to have some sort of sentence like that. AA experience has taught us, an AA experience would be the people that have done the work suggested in these books and successfully found happy, joyous, and free life, sober, free of alcohol. So that's the AA experience. If that's what you're after, 
You can do this too. If that's what you're after, this might be something for you. AA experience has taught us we cannot live alone with our pressing problems and the character defects which cause or aggravate them. If we have swept the searchlight of step four back and forth over our careers, and it has revealed in stark relief those experiences we'd rather not remember, if we have come to know how wrong thinking, critical thing to know, if we've come to know how wrong thinking and action, our will and our lives, thinking and action have hurt us and others, then the need to quit living by ourselves. That's that loneliness, that isolation, need to quit living by ourselves with those tormenting ghosts of yesterday gets more urgent than ever because we don't have alcohol. And remember, this step is written for people in their first 30, 60 days of sobriety when this is done. The idea is that you go blasting through this much faster than the concepts of today. So he's putting a sense of urgency in here that applies to those people that are exposed. You know, they're feeling things they haven't been feeling. They're noticing things and remembering things they had been doing a lot to make sure they didn't notice or remember. Hmm. We have to talk to someone, somebody, somewhere about them. So intense, though, is our fear and reluctance. That's a degree of not being willing. Reluctance is like the opposite of willingness. So intense, though, is our fear and reluctance to do this that many AAs first try to bypass step five. Can we just go on to six? I mean, I'm a bad guy. I'm going to give up alcohol. (laughs) We search for a easier way, easier, softer way, right? But this is the easy, soft way. Drinking is not the easy, soft way. Living miserably certainly isn't. This is it, which usually consists of the general and fairly painless admission that when drinking, we were sometimes bad actors. And here's the story part. This is oftentimes what people do for step five. It says, which usually consists of the general and fairly painless admission that when we were drinking, we were sometimes bad actors. So we tell a story. Then for good measure, we tell a story. We add dramatic descriptions of that part of our drinking behavior, which our friends probably know about anyhow. Because it's safe, right? I can agree that I was totally messed up and did this stupid thing or that stupid thing. Hmm. But of the things which really bother and burn us, we say nothing. Certain distressing or humiliating memories we tell ourselves ought not to be shared with anyone. These will remain our secret. Not a soul must ever know. We hope they'll go to the grave with us. Yet if AA's experience means anything at all, this is not only unwise, but is actually a perilous resolve. It's a very dangerous decision. Few muddled attitudes have caused us more trouble than holding back on step five. What he's trying to say is, don't hold back on step five. The attitude of not wanting to do step five is probably your greatest liability at this point. Some people are unable to stay sober at all. Yep, I've seen them. Others will relapse periodically until they really clean house. Seen them, even AA old timers, hmm, sober for years, often pay dearly for skimping on this step. And here's that loneliness again. They will tell how they tried to carry the load alone, alone. There it is, alone, right? By ourselves, alone. And how do we know when we're doing that? How much they suffered of irritability, anxiety, remorse, and depression. And how, unconsciously seeking relief, 
they would sometimes accuse even their best friends of the very character defects they themselves were trying to conceal. You find that machine working in your mind? You're accusing your friends, your sponsor, your neighbors, the meeting's no good. I'm going to start a new meeting. I'm going to start a new meeting, man. I'm sick and tired of that meeting over there. Whatever. You know, it's not life on life's terms, right? It's life on my terms, and it's not going so well. That's what it's telling me. And when I notice that, perhaps there's something that could be step five, so to speak. Maybe there's something that I'm doing that's dishonest. Maybe there's a secret going on in my life and I'm not disclosing to people. Perhaps there's something going on that if I can just out it, just get it out of me and share it, it may almost immediately lose its power. Hmm. They always discovered, they, meaning those people, always discovered that relief never came by confessing the sins of other people. Man, I'm good at that. It's totally terrible that that doesn't work. Everybody had to confess his own. This practice of admitting one's defects to another person is, of course, very ancient. It has been validated in every century, and it characterizes the lives of all spiritually centered and truly religious people. But today, religion is by no means the sole advocate of this saving principle. Psychiatrists and psychologists point out the deep need every human being has for the practical insight and knowledge of his own personality flaws and for a discussion of them. Psychiatrists and psychologists point out the deep need every human being has for practical insight and knowledge of his own personality flaws and for a discussion of them with an understanding and trustworthy person. And that's where a sponsor or a clergy or a lawyer or a trusted friend or a total stranger comes, comes in here. So far as alcoholics are concerned, AA would go even further. Hmm. Most of us would declare that without a fearless admission of our defects to another human being, we could not stay sober. That's what's at stake, sobriety, right? It seems plain that the grace of God, hmm, the grace of God is at stake here. <laughs> it seems plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive obsessions until we are willing, willing to try this. It's not even that we've done it yet. It's just getting that idea of willingness. In other words, conquering the reluctance, getting past the idea that you can't, dropping the notion that you can never, forgetting the idea that you're unique or that somehow no one else will ever understand this or that you can't do this one thing, that somehow we just got to move on from here, right? What are we likely to receive from step five? Let's find out. For one thing, we shall get rid of that terrible sense of isolation, the aloneness, the by the selfness, the uniqueness we've always had. Almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. Man, I'll tell you, that's me. I can feel all alone in a very crowded space. I can get along really good with people and they'll never, ever know it. And inside, I've not made a single meaningful connection with anyone in that room. That's the value of service. because. When people value me, I value them. And it starts by me going first, right? I express some sort of value for them, even if it's contrived. And I just go and do it. And before you know it, the whole thing changes. It's also a part of listening. I can be judgmental of people in my mind. And then I hear their story or their, you know, what drove them. 
And it's like, wow, <laughs> that's me too. And my entire attitude about them and my understanding about why they are the way they are and the knowledge that the things about them that annoy me are really things about me comes to light. And man, that's, it's really, really powerful. So that's one of the main reasons to do this is to connect to someone else. Even before our drinking got bad and people begun to cut us off, Nearly all of us suffered from the feeling that we didn't quite belong. As you read through the stories in the back of the big book, you'll see that over and over and over again. Either we were shy and dared not draw near others, or we were apt to be noisy good fellows craving attention and companionship, but never getting it, at least to our way of thinking. Life on my terms, right? There was always that mysterious barrier. I love this line. A mysterious bear. Who's probably thought of that? I know I've thought of it. I thought, what is this that keeps this from happening? Why don't I have any close friendships? Why am I so afraid of other people? Why don't I like going to parties and groups? What is it about sitting at home alone in my own mind, which isn't really fun? What is it about that that I prefer over socializing? Hmm. It says, there was always that mysterious barrier we could neither surmount nor understand. It was as if we were actors on a stage, suddenly realizing that we did not know a single line of our parts. That's one reason we loved alcohol too well. It did let us act extemporaneously, but even Bacchus, which is another name for Dionysus, Greek legend, boomeranged on us. We were finally struck down and left in terrified loneliness. Somehow step five is going to step us away from loneliness. There's another thing it gives us too. When we reached AA and for the first time in our lives stood among people who seemed to understand, the sense of belonging was tremendously exciting. I mean, I've had that. I've watched that over and over again. We thought the isolation problem had been solved, but we soon discovered that while we weren't alone anymore in a social sense, that's the beautiful fellowship of AA, we still suffered many of the old pangs of Anxious apartness. Ooh, that's true too. How many folks, you know, go to a new meeting and you're still nervous? How many times you just kind of go to the one meeting? I go here because I like the people and I'm comfortable. All about you, right? And that's the folly of it all. That's the danger in it all is that it becomes AA for me and not necessarily AA for other people. Hmm. We still suffered many of the old pangs of anxious apartness. Until we had talked with complete candor of our conflicts and had listened, here's the second part, and had listened to someone else do the same thing. So taking on a step five from someone is equal to you offering what you have to say to someone. It's important that you get both. Because here in the book, it's telling me that until I've done, well, both. Until I've done both. Until we had talked with complete candor of our conflicts and had listened to someone else do the same thing, we still didn't belong. Oof. Step five was the answer. There it is. Step five was the answer. It was the beginning of true kinship with man and God. This vital step was also the means by which we began to get the feeling that we could be, here's that second thing, forgiven not lonely anymore, and forgiven that the, the terrible things of the past somehow are dealt with. How crazy is that? 
we can be forgiven no matter what we had thought or done. Often it was while working on this step with our sponsors or spiritual advisors that we first felt truly able to forgive others. Wow, it's an old reap what you sow idea, right? You forgive others and you're able to forgive yourself. Sometimes you hear things, and it's true in AA, that you hear stuff like, you can't give away things you don't have. Inside of you, you have the ability to forgive others all the time. We all desire to be liked. We all desire to have a sense of purpose and significance. We all desire to have a sense of control of our lives, a choice in our destiny, a direction, something that we can do. And forgiveness is one of those things we can all do if we understand what it is. And one of the ways I like to describe forgiveness is no longer wishing the past were different. Drop the criteria if if someone had done it a different way, if they could have done it this way or that way, if we did this or that. Just drop that idea altogether for things are what they are and move forward. Look for the good in it. Look for the God in it, right? Look for the things that you can do to make it better. There's um, suicide is a really deep one that requires forgiveness. Suicide intrudes into people's lives and we see it a lot in AA. And man, I tell you what, you know, I don't want to forgive some of those people that have committed suicide in AA. I counted on them. Some of them were some of the first people I met in sobriety. They were the, the pillars of it all for me. And, and in doing what they did, you know, I, I've got to find that place of forgiveness. So step five says, no, you can do this. It's just not wishing the past were different. So it's my way to forgive. And if I can forgive myself and others, I'm free. I'm free of that burden of the past. And this is part of what step five is all about. So it says, our moral inventory had persuaded us that all around forgiveness was desirable. All around, like everybody, everything. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter what I think about it. Doesn't matter. All around, everybody. But it was only when we resolutely tackled step five with great determination, you know, resolutely tackled step five that we inwardly knew we'd be able to receive forgiveness and give it to. When I tell my story, when I talk about my character defects, when I dive deep into the exact nature, nature, the inherent character of my wrongs, and I get feedback, you know, my sponsor, I sit in a group and I hear my story. I, I hear somebody brave enough to share something I wouldn't tell anybody in a meeting. When, I, when that happens, I'm free. I'm like, wow, it just isn't that big of a deal. I have camaraderie and some pretty odd stuff, you know, and what a relief that is to know. And it allows me to be able to forgive them too, because I immediately do it, right? I won't even go over to them and say, hey, me too, you know, I did that crazy stuff too. So it goes on. Another great dividend we may expect from confiding our defects to another human being is, there's that nasty old word, humility. Humility, a word often misunderstood <laughs> to those who have made progress in AA. And here's the working definition in AA of humility. Right here it is. You ready? It amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we really are. What and who I really am. The exact nature of my wrongs, and perhaps even the exact nature of my assets. Four-step stuff, right? We're carrying it through. We're going to get rid of the secrets and build on the good stuff. Hmm. Humility amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we really are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. 
That's building on your strengths. Therefore, our first practical move toward humility must consist of recognizing our deficiencies. No defect can be corrected unless we clearly see what it is, but we shall have to do more than see. The objective look at ourselves we achieved in step four was, after all, only a look. All of us saw, for example, that we lacked honesty and tolerance. That'd be all of us. That we were beset at times by attacks of self-pity or delusions of personal grandeur. But while this was a humiliating experience, it didn't necessarily mean that we had yet acquired much actual humility. They're different things. Though now recognized, our defects were still there. Something had to be done about them. And we soon found that we could not wish or will them away by ourselves. So what do we do, Bill? What do we do? More realism and therefore more honesty about ourselves are the great gains we make under the influence of step five. You do it once, but it keeps doing. You learn to be able to do this and it keeps doing. You go from kind of bringing forth accountability from maybe 25 or 30 years ago, stuff you did a long time ago, to proactive accountability. Like you think it through. And that step five, the necessity of step five, the story somebody else told, you learn from somebody else's experience. We can't do it by ourselves. It requires another person. I must offload what I got and onload what they got. More realism and therefore more honesty about ourselves are the great gains we make under the influence of step five. That influence goes on and on. As we took inventory, we began to suspect how much trouble self-delusion had been causing us. Self-delusion, lies we tell ourselves and believe. This had brought a disturbing reflection. If all our lives we had more or less fooled ourselves, here comes the paradox, how could we now be so sure that we weren't still self-deceived? How could we be certain that we had made a true catalog of our defects and had really admitted them even to ourselves. Because we were still bothered by fear, self-pity, and hurt feelings, it was probable we couldn't appraise ourselves fairly at all. Well, that's not the idea, right? In the big book, when it talks about the end of step five, it acts, gives a lot of analogies, you know, did you put enough stuff in the sand? Is it, did you build this foundation, right? And this is where it's going in this. Too much guilt and remorse might cause us to dramatize and exaggerate our shortcomings. Some of us love to do that. If I'm going to be bad, I'm going to be the baddest of bad, right? I'm going to one-up your story. I'm going to outdo this whole thing. Be the baddest of bad. Or anger and hurt pride might be the smokescreen under which we were hiding some of our defects while we blamed others for them. I wasn't that bad. It was all these other people and circumstances and principles and things and judges and cops and and wives and friends and moms and dads. It was everybody but me, possibly too. We were still handicapped by many liabilities, great and small. We never knew we had. I mean, how do we know it, right? We were using this to keep our life together. Hence, it was most evident that a solitary self-appraisal without anyone else, solitary self-appraisal, and the admission of our defects based upon that alone wouldn't be nearly enough. We had to have outside help if we were surely to know and admit the truth about ourselves the help of God and another human being. That's the outside help. So there it is. Admit to God, to myself, to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. Mm. 
only by discussing ourselves, holding back nothing, only by being willing to take advice. <laughs> willing to take advice, I don't know. Willing to take advice and accept direction could we set foot on the road to straight thinking. Ooh, so wrong thinking becomes straight thinking. Solid honesty, and I go from dishonest to honesty or better at it, and genuine humility, I understand exactly who I am. That's what this gives us. And as a result, I don't feel alone anymore. And I learned how the power, the incredible strength, the courage, the it just amazing, mysterious fact, spiritual fact of forgiveness, how that frees me up in life. Yet many of us still hung back. <laughs> there it is. We are people with conditional crisis, right? I got, you know, I'll do it um, as long as all the circumstances are the way I want them to be. And if they're not, I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know? Can crisis with conditions, right? So it says, yet many of us still hung back. We said, why can't God, as we understand him, tell us where we are astray? If the creator gave us our lives in the first place, then he must know in every detail where we have since gone wrong. Why don't we make our admissions to him directly? I think we have. Why do we need to bring anyone else into this? Well, at this stage, the difficulties of trying to deal rightly with God by ourselves are twofold. Though we may at first be startled to realize that God knows all about us, we are apt to get used to that quite quickly. Ah, cool. I don't even need to keep up with it, right? Somehow, being alone with God doesn't seem as embarrassing as facing up to another person. Until we actually sit down and talk aloud about what we have so long hidden our willingness, our agreement to do this, willingness is an agreement to do it, our willingness to clean house is still largely theoretical. When we are honest with another person, it confirms that we have been honest with ourselves and with God. Yeah, it just comes right on out of your face, right? The second difficulty is this. What comes to us alone may be garbled in our own rationalization and wishful thinking. So earlier today, I was talking to a, a brother in the program and we talked about how, you know, I, I seek God's inspiration all by myself, right? And I might get really absurd answers. And Bill talks about this also in the, in the big book. And, it, and it's just funny, the things I might think, you know, I was praying this morning and it came on my heart and I'm supposed to discuss, you know, something like hemorrhoids or, you know, how to cook rice properly in an oven and uh, whether pilaf is better with teriyaki sauce or soy sauce, you know. Things like that. Crazy things come to mind and we think that they're really important. And what we learn in AA is now that we're not alone, now that we have the fifth step influence, we can do this. You ready? The benefit of talking to another person is that we can get his direct comment and counsel on our situation. And there can be no doubt in our minds that what this advice is. So, you know, I, I'm guilty of this for sure, that I want to make decisions autonomously. I think that I've got it, you know, I'm responsible for it. It's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. No one needs to know. Ooh, there's the thought right there. I don't want to call somebody. No one else needs to know. This is where the fifth step comes into play. Those are the moments. Those are the signals. That's the self-talk, the red flags, whatever it is and however you want to call it. When you have that wrong thinking, it is time to reach out and get the counsel of somebody else. Going it alone in spiritual matters is 
dangerous. How many times have we heard well-intentioned people claim the guidance of God when it was all too plain that they were sorely mistaken? I'm stepping out on faith. Woo! That's craziness. That's crazy. Stepping out on faith is just another way of saying that I'm going to do something and I have no skills to do it. I have no plan to do it. I don't have any idea how to do it. And when it all goes wrong, I'm just going to say, well, it's God's will. You know, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's irresponsible. And we drag people down with this kind of stuff. And we make promises and commitments that we really have no way to keep. And we set expectations for people that love us and care about us or count on us that really we can't do. And, and it brings us to that secret spot, doesn't it? I get nervous. They're going to judge me. I can't do it. How do I tell them? And we get to that, that weird point. And that's the benefit and skill of step five. We can stop a lot of that absurd behavior, that stuff that we think is spiritually inspired, simply by consulting someone else. And, and one thing you'll hear a lot is God talks to me or my higher power talks to me through other people. And that's another reason to humble yourself to doing this step in this way. So it goes on, and I'm just going to say this again because I think it's important. The benefit of talking to another person is that we can get his direct comment and counsel on our situation. And there can be no doubt in our minds what that advice is. Going in alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. How many times have we heard well-intentioned people claim the guidance of God when it was all too plain that they were sorely mistaken? Just think about it. It's such an important thing for me in my life, for sure. Lacking both practice and humility, they had deluded themselves, which means they caused themselves to believe a lie. They, they rationalized and justified and intellectualized the whole thing so that, you know, logic came into play and it made sense to them. And we're just going to do it and it's good. It makes sense to me, right? They had deluded themselves and were able to justify the most errant nonsense. That's the worst kind. Errant is a high level word that means the worst, the, the worst nonsense, the most errant nonsense on the ground that this was what God, oh God, had told them to do. It is worth noting that people of very high spiritual development almost always insist on checking with friends or spiritual advisors the guidance they feel they have received from God. So it's not that you don't get guidance from God. Of course you do. And it's not that the things that still small voice, you don't listen to it. You absolutely do. I have a crazy story about that. And I absolutely do listen. At the same time, I seek counsel. I look for clarity. I look for a broadening of my perspective so that I have all the information mostly about me from people that know how I am because they're kind of like me and we make a decision together. And then I've set up accountability. I make a commitment to them to do something. And then I hope my goal is that they'll hold me accountable to it. In AA, we frequently check up on each other. You know, where are you at with this? What are you doing with that? Somebody calls and has a bad day. You call the next day to see if it's better. Did you pause? Did you pray? Did you ask? Did you call your sponsor? Did you get to a meeting? Did you read in a book? Did you do these things? And in doing that, we're just encouraging success. We're helping them remember that they're worth it. We're helping them know that we care. We're letting them know that at these, in these few minutes, they're the most important person. And so that's that forgive, forgiveness equation. People can have a bad day. People can do things to me that the world might think is, are wrong. 
it doesn't matter. I'm still going to put them first and try my very best. I'm going to give it all the effort I got to make things right. At the same time, I'm going to do it with the help and guidance of others. Sometimes it means doing nothing. Other times it means diving right on into the viper pit and dealing with it in a really uncomfortable way. In any case, doing it with the help of others, the guidance of others, allows me to stay in check and allows those spiritual tools, these fantastic steps, to be expressed in it. And I don't fall to anger and anxiety and attacks and perhaps degrading somebody, those penalties of judgment, you know, that, that I'm the one who suffers, right? Anger is the poison. I drink hoping the other person gets sick. So it goes on. Surely then a novice ought not to lay himself open to the chance of making foolish, perhaps tragic, blunders in this fashion. So the novice is us. This is addressed to people brand new to recovery. They're blasting through step five pretty quickly. While the comment or advice of others may be by no means infallible, it is likely to be far more specific than any direct guidance we may receive while we are still so inexperienced. Remember, this is the newcomer in establishing contact with a higher power than ourselves. So it doesn't mean that you do whatever your sponsor says just because your sponsor said it, though early on that may be a good idea just to practice following a different set of directions and not practicing my opinion of those directions, right? The still small voice may well still be that voice of God, that divine direction, that spiritual guide may well be the right thing. And I got stories of that too myself. It's just broadening your perspective, knowing there are alternatives, shutting off the all or nothing thinking and the absolute mind of the alcoholic and broadening it up to a rational, sane decision maker up here. Our next problem will be to discover the person in whom we are to confide. So this is going to take us into another place here in step five, and that's identifying who we're going to do this with. Here we ought to take much care, remembering that prudence, careful good judgment, prudence is a virtue which carries a high rating. Perhaps we shall need to share with this person facts about ourselves, which no others ought to know. We shall want to speak with someone who is experienced who not only has stayed dry, but has been able to surmount other serious difficulties, difficulties perhaps like our own. This person may turn out to be one sponsor and may not, but not necessarily so. If you have developed a high confidence in him and his temperament, meaning his typical behavior, the, the, his personality, so to speak, and problems and their problems are close to your own, then such a choice will be good. So there's your qualifier. You have a high confidence in the person that they're going to be anonymous and keep your secrets secret. And their personality is one that seems stable and, and pretty regular, the usual stuff, and you relate to it. And they have problems that they've expressed that are similar to your own. There's your qualifier. That'll make a good choice. Besides, your sponsor already has the advantage of knowing something about your case. So that could be that person. Perhaps, though, your relation to him is such that you would care to reveal only a part of your story. And you can do that. You can do that. If this is the situation, by all means do so, for you ought to make a beginning as soon as you can. Do not delay. Do not delay as soon as you can. It may turn out, however, that you'll choose someone else for the more difficult and deeper revelations. So in our big book, it also warns us, don't use this as an excuse. Do not delay. There's no, I'm not ready to do this. 
no one's ready to do this. It's just something you do. No one's like it said at the beginning, we're not waiting to do this. This is a thing that's challenging for any of us. Do not delay. Don't use excuses. Don't use, I can't make it today. Don't schedule ahead of it. Put it on the calendar, keep the date, make it the most important thing and get this step five done. Very, very important. It may turn out, however, that you'll choose someone else for the more difficult and deeper revelations. This individual may be entirely outside of AA. For example, you're a clergyman or your doctor. For some of us, a complete stranger may prove to be the best. A complete stranger. I know a guy who went to a meeting that was like 60 miles away from his home group and just randomly grabbed someone at the meeting and said, let's do it. <laughs> you know, and that worked for him, right? It's a great story too. So you know, maybe finding a complete stranger, find someone who's really odd, somebody who's very different than you and, uh, and tell them. And you might be surprised how, you know, perhaps not different they are. Here's the real test. You guys ready? The real tests of the situation are your own willingness. How much are you willing to keep this agreement to do this? To confide, which means to put trust in a person and your full confidence in the one with whom you share your first accurate self-survey. Even when you've found the person, it frequently takes great resolution to approach him or her. No one ought to say the AA program requires no willpower. <laughs> Here is one place you may require all you've got. Happily, though, the chances are that you will be in for a very present surprise. When your mission is carefully explained and it is seen by the recipient of your confidence how helpful he can really be, the conversation will start easily and will soon become eager. They'll get excited. They're interested in hearing what you have to say and they're interested in seeing the benefit of it for you. Before long, your listener may well tell a story or two about himself, which will place you even more at ease. There it is, that relation, not alone, right? The loneliness gone away. Provided you hold back nothing, your sense of relief will mount from minute to minute. You can almost feel this happening. I remember this myself. The damned up emotions of years break out of their confinement, but have no worry as miraculous and miraculously vanish as soon as they are exposed. Whoo, thank goodness for that. As the pain subsides, a healing tranquility takes its place. And when humility and serenity are so combined, something else of great moment is apt to occur. Something else of a great moment is apt to occur. Many an AA, once agnostic or atheist, tells us that it was during this stage of step five that he first actually felt the presence of God. And even those who had faith already often become conscious of God as they never were before. Let's take this saying home. This feeling of being at one with God and man, this emerging from isolation through the open and honest sharing of our terrible burden of guilt, brings us to a resting place where we may prepare ourselves for the following steps toward a full and meaningful sobriety where we dump these character defects to be able to help and serve others. So what's this discussion about step five about? There's a bunch of discussions in there. So here's the question. For those of you that have done a step five and really believe that you've you know, mixed the sand right, that you got the concrete right, that you've built this foundation, if you've done that, talk about how great it was to get through it. Did you have a somewhat or some powerful or some profound or no spiritual experience with it? 
And for those that are reluctant, that lack the willingness to really go through with step five, talk about why. Maybe that's the topic for your discussion right there. Because being able to hear other people talk about how they stepped past that to get through it, to no longer do it that way, is so important. Because it's, it's just a thing in your mind. There's, there really isn't any reason to be afraid. People are disturbed, <laughs> you know, and it's not just alcoholics. And we can find a way to do this thing, not just right or wrong, but well. And as we go into step six and seven, it's vital that we really truly have that humility, that understanding of exactly who we are. We know the exact nature of ourselves. That's another way of saying we understand our own character. And in doing so, we can then serve others. We will see ourselves in everybody. I've noticed that I also see God in everything too. I see God, good orderly direction, group of drunks, great objective decisions, the great objective director. I see that in everything. It's just everywhere. Even in the worst of situations, you can find that. And wow, you know, there's really just nothing more important. So get into this discussion today. Get serious about it. Why not do step five? Why not do it? It's gold waiting for you. And if you've done it, what were the benefits for you? How did it prepare you for this meaningful life living in service to others? Hope you have a great discussion.